if you have an impacted stone that sits in the middle of the uh, of your bile duct and barely allows your wire to pass through, there is no point in getting the basket out. Good morning, good evening, or good afternoon. Welcome to Endocast. I'm your host, Tony Ray. This is episode six with our physician guest, Sonia Riker from Harbor UCLA Medical Center in Los Angeles. This is the second part in a two-part series titled Stone Management 2020. Endocast is a GI-focused podcast for clinicians by clinicians, presented to you by Boston Scientific. Together, we'll take a closer look at the data, techniques, and insights of endoscopy that matter most to listeners like you. Dr. Riker, how do you categorize a difficult stone, and why is that? So it's funny that you ask. This is actually in the ASG guidelines. It was one of the, you know, how at the end they put in uh, the sort of summary of where the future research should go. It actually was one of them is categorizing what makes a bad stone a bad stone. And intuitively, we all know what the bad stone is. But how do you put it in a comprehensive way? Uh, I think we would have to wait for that. But I can, uh, you know, just my personal beliefs. I don't think it's any rocket science or anything like that. Uh, I think it's all about the size of the stone, the hardness of the stone, the size of the distal duct or papilla. You can have a relatively small-sized stone but if your papilla is even smaller than that and your stone is very hard or maybe uh, sort of the shape is not very smooth or oval, that, that might be a more challenging uh, one to manage. But uh, we would have to wait uh, to, for sort of more, uh, other than our feel, a little bit more defined way of doing it. So after your introductory or your first couple balloon sweeps, assuming they're unsuccessful, what's next during that ERCP? Oh, so sad, assuming unsuffocation. Yes. Uh, there are days there are days like that uh, for for everybody. I think it's important and that um, we actually at our institution we are, we're uh, we train uh, two fellows every year and uh, that's what I uh, in in interventional endoscopy and that's what I tell uh, our fellows is that you have to kind of pause for a second and think what, what my next steps will be. And that depends uh, on what is the size of the stone, what is the size of a distal duct, uh, what is the size of the papilla, what do we think? Is it a soft stone or it has a triangular or some weird shape and that we know is going to be very challenging? Usually, most of the time, my next step would be uh, sphincteroplasty. By that point, sphincterotomy has been performed already. Uh, and you ask ourselves, what am I going to do to optimize my exit? That is, uh, uh, sphincteroplasty is done. And then, uh, uh, and that is usually w where I would go. Uh, the important point to make is that um, you have to size the, the balloon based on the size of the duct. And I think that's where the complications do happen is um, 
when uh, we're sort of a bit overdo it and the distal duct is very small and all of a sudden you're thinking of dilating to 15 and 20 and your duct is three millimeter, then you're running a chance of having uh, uh, either a bleeding or a perforation. So the next step, uh, I would say nine out of 10 times is uh, doing uh, sphincterplasty. How about any technique advice for using a traditional biliary stone basket? For sure. Um, I think it's very important uh, for using traditional stone baskets to know your equipment ahead of time. You don't want to try and start figuring it out at Friday at 8 o'clock at night where, where you're trying to get the basket uh, situated. And I think it's important that it's not just your staff knows, but you're the one who knows what is the basket that you're using, uh, which ones you like, how to put it together, how to set up emergency lethal trips, and you try to do it and you know how to do it. Um, we actually, in our unit, and I'm sure uh, you guys have it as well in a, any unit, we have emergency box. Uh, we make sure that we update it, uh, and uh, we have a list of things that are supposed to do, uh, I'm sorry, supposed to have in, in that. And um, there is a nice set of wire cutters in it. Uh, there is emergency lithotripter in it. And whichever one you use, that being a gun or the, the handle, being familiar with it is, is the key. Uh, again, going back to sphincterplasty, making sure that your exit is optimized, that you dilate it as much as possible before you're putting a basket in. And then finally, I think it's critical to orient how you orient the basket. Uh, the, obviously, if the basket basket needs to be aligned with the axis of the wires, if you're putting it perpendicular and trying to crank it, well, you're going to be cranking something other than the stone, and that's going to be an interesting, uh, uh, some excitement in your Friday night uh, ERCP procedure. The other thing that either you're using a gun or you're using a handle, there's no need to rush. When you're turning it, whatever it is that, that you're turning, give it time and for that force to transmit. Stand there, chat a little bit with your nursing staff, gossip a little, then turn a little bit more and a little bit more, and hopefully you crack it. And then finally, be prepared. There is, uh, you know, before... Um, direct clangioscopy spy came about. Everybody was dreading a uh, basket being stuck or basket be being broken. We don't worry about it anymore. There is nothing to worry about. If you're stuck and even, unfortunately, the basket broke and you have now the, the stone and the metal basket are sitting uh, right in the middle of the bile duct and the wires are sticking out, we can rescue ourselves out of it during the same procedure. Just get the spy out, break the stone, pull the basket out. It is not as challenging nowadays as it, it used to be long ago when you had to figure out mother-daughter business and all of that. Which leads me to my next question, and I think you just answered one of the indications. But at what point do you consider using cholangioscopy during your stone management ERCP? I think with the routine use of uh, sphincteroplasty, 
we use less of mechanical lithotropy. Uh, but I think it's a great technique, and I think it's important to, to be able to use all of it and be comfortable to using all of it. And it's hard to say at what point. It's more of a question, not of a point, is what kind of stone, what kind of stone, what kind of anatomy do you have? If you have an impacted stone that sits in the middle of the uh, of your bile duct and barely allows your wire to pass through, there is no point in getting the basket out because you know it's not going to develop around it, and you already try and manipulate it. You can't even get anything by it. So there's no point in doing it. So at that point, I wouldn't be wasting time. It just takes five minutes to get this pie out. You break the stone. It's a perfectly easiest one to do direct clonjoscopy on. It's already stuck there. It's not going to go anywhere. You just break it, you're done. And everybody's happy. So uh, that is more not of a time, but actually thinking about what kind of stone, what kind of a bile duct. What can I do? Well, I have a, my, my distal bile duct is three millimeter in size. Uh, even if I grab it with a basket and a stone is, uh, uh, you know, 15 or 20, it's not going to come out. It's really hard. It looks very hard and uh, raggedy. Well, I'm not going to break it. Most likely I'm going to get stuck. So that's a decision uh, for me, at least. That's uh, what I usually think about. Well put. How about antibiotics during the procedure? Right. I, uh, so the data on risk of bacteremia with cholangioscopy comes, um, there's actually uh, significant data on that. Uh, there was a study in 2016 that looked at uh, rates of bacteremia after cholangioscopy. They actually did the blood cultures before, during, and after. And uh, they didn't use, peri as far as I remember, they didn't use peri procedural antibiotics. The rate of bacteremia was about 7%. Uh, and uh, there was larger review of just overall adverse events with, uh, uh, with um, cholangioscopy. And the rate was significantly lower, about 1% or less, with the use of peri procedural antibiotics. I routinely give uh, periprocedural, intraprocedural antibiotics when I do cholangioscopy, especially um, if I do large stones. There was a, also another sort of word of caution or concern that if you use a lot of fluid during electrohydraulic lithotripsy when you're breaking large stones, that could contribute to bacteremia. And um, I, just in my personal experience, I, I don't have much to back it up with, but um, I have to say with the use, knock on every wood, with the use of uh, uh, one dose of procedural antibiotics, I haven't had any uh, rates of bacteremia or uh, liver abscesses, which is the other thing that I'm concerned about. Speaking of EHL, can you walk us through best practices for using EHL on biliary stones? Sure. Um, and again, this is uh, a personal experience. Uh, and uh, at the end, 
in the end of the day, if you're the one breaking it and you're breaking and you're doing it different from me, then that's uh, all power. I'm just going to share what I do. Um, I, I try to, I know there are, there are some concerns about use of large sphincteroplasty and concerns of um, sort of all the uh, fluid uh, escaping uh, and sphincteroplasty sort of contributing to that. I, I have not seen that or uh, see it as a concern. Uh, I think there are a couple of things. One, um, I try to make sure that the distal bile duct or anything below the stone that I'm planning to break is clear so I don't have to deal with that. I preload my child probe. I uh, make sure that it's in the highest setting. Uh, and the goal is I, I want to make sure that sometimes if you do uh, intrahepatic stones, the HL probe sometimes has a little hard time coming out, and there are little tricks to, to get it out, and I don't think it's, a, it's that uh, tricky. You just kind of unlock all your dials. Uh, sometimes I put a little uh, fluid in and make sure it comes out uh, easier, and then you sort of make sure that there is no significant bends in the spy. Um, and uh, one of the advantages of EHL is that you don't have to be directly on the stone to break it, as long as you're in, uh, in the aqueous medium. Uh, so that I find it useful when you're working in a really, what I call when you're bent as a pretzel and, and you're working high uh, in the, uh, high in the intrahepatics and the stone is very difficult or position is difficult. Uh, so, so just uh, break, uh, just shooting it right next to it sometime also would be successful. And I also try and fragment it really well. Uh, the worst thing to happen is that you think you fragmented it, you come out, and still this, and then you have to go back in. So just sort of be a little patient, break it so the, all the fragments are floating, and, uh, and then you're done. How about retained cystic duct stones? Does that ever happen? How do you manage those? I'm glad you bring it up. It's actually, that is one of the... Uh, other comprehensive review questions from um, from the ASG guidelines that was another one that was new is for them pointing out the role of ERCP and introductal therapy in managing of Meritzi's syndrome because we we all sort of grew up with with understanding that our role in management of Meritzi's syndrome is basically um, in diagnosing it and temporizing it with with a stand, uh, and then we're sort of done. But we're now uh, seeing ourselves as more than that, because especially in the stones that are in the cystic duct that are close to the kind of on the takeoff of the cystic duct, a lot of the times uh, introductal therapy could be very successful, uh, and it makes it it makes it easier for the surgeon, very important to work with the surgeons in this regard. It's not that hard to do. And um, I still prefer to do it after the cholecystectomy. And uh, we're very fortunate in our institution. We have a very close relationship with our surgeons. And, uh, and in the situation where there's a terrible cholecystitis, 
the dissection next to the bile duct was very difficult and they didn't want to risk the injury to the bile duct, then I think an option of introductal uh, therapy with the EHL is a very good one. And now with the new accessories, um, spy accessories, these things could be uh, sort of easier uh, because the fragments that is sometimes a little bit challenging to remove with a balloon from the cystic duct, using a basket to do it, especially when they're at the end, they're right at the stump, the balloon doesn't go there. But now with the, after you've done your HL, how are you going to get the fragments out? Uh, then using the uh, spy basket has been very helpful. So we've done several cases with that, and uh, it's a little bit easier. Well put, Dr. Riker. How about for the duct that you're not able to fully clear on that index procedure? What's next for that patient? Well, it, it happens. You have to be prepared for that uh, because based on the data, we know that up to 20% of the time, you, depending on the size of the stone, you will not be able to clear uh, the duct. And that is good to dis have that discussion with the patient ahead of time so it's not surprise afterwards. Um, and at that point, and actually it's uh, the guidelines address that very well. And I would refer you guys to that to take a look at the available data. Clearly, the stenting at that point, you would stent uh, and uh, come back sort of to fight another day. Um, and there is definitely a role for stenting to decrease uh, the stone burden and then potentially uh, optimize or make uh, the procedure easier for you and increase the chances of complete clearance during your second procedure. However, again, the word of caution, for patients, especially elderly, where uh, there is sort of uh, temptation to say, well, we're, we're going to put this stand and we just leave it be. There is ample data that shows that that um, just increases risk of complication and potentially fatal complication with recurrent events. So we do need to strive for complete ductal clearance in this patient population as well. Next question, and actually my final question, Dr. Riker. First off, thank you for coming on to Endocast. It's been my pleasure having you on. And my last question is, if you're going to leave the audience with just one silver bullet, one key takeaway about ERCP stone management, what would that be? I think the silver bullet is to keep in mind that we are, especially with the use of introductal therapy and sphincteroplasty, are way above 90 597% successful in clearance of the stones. I cannot remember now a, a situation where in the past, since the spy, uh, where we needed to send the patient for bile duct exploration. With just a little bit of patience, that's, uh, that is, I think, the silver bullet and the right expectation, you can clear it. That's basically it. Perfect. Thank you, Dr. Riker, uh, once you. again for coming on, and uh, I look forward to seeing you soon. And that's Endocast. Please follow Boston Scientific Endoscopy on our Twitter and LinkedIn feeds. You can also visit our virtual education platform, EduCare. That's E-D-U-C-A-R-E 
www.bostonscientific.com and choose Gastroenterology. The site features over 180 resources, including physician-led educational videos, lectures, case studies, device training videos, procedural tips, and techniques. Thanks for listening. Endocast listeners, an important disclaimer. These materials are intended to describe common clinical considerations and procedural steps for the use of reference technologies, but may not be appropriate for every patient or every case. Decisions surrounding patient care depend on the physician's professional judgment in consideration of all available information for the individual case. Boston Scientific does not promote nor encourage the use of its devices outside of their approved labeling. Case studies are not necessarily representative of clinical outcomes in all cases as individual results may vary. The law restricts devices to sell, buy, or on the order of a physician. Indications, contraindications, warnings, and instructions for use can be found on the product labeling supplied with each device. Products shown for information purposes only may not be approved for sale in certain countries. This material is not intended for use in France and by prescription only. Thank you.